This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings 4. Kings 4, just reading the first seven verses only. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. He brought the vessels to her. And she poured it out. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. And so the oil ceased. And then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons live on the rest. Amen. Following uh, in this series uh, from last Sunday morning, we see where we had seen Elisha ministering to three kings, how three kings sent and how they went to him and he ministered unto them. Now we see him ministering unto a poor widow. The experiences with royalty uh, did not fill him with such pride that he couldn't attend to the needs of this poor woman. Uh, Believers Uh, we know that we should make no difference, whether rich or poor, it should not affect us in any way how we minister uh, to those around us. Now, widows in those days especially uh, would find it very, very difficult indeed. Obviously, there was no national health service. There was no widow's pension. There was no government benefits. And For this woman, it was bad enough that she had to deal with death, but now she has to deal with debt. She's been hit a double whammy, as we would say. Not only has she lost her dear husband, whom she was very much dependent upon, but now she's left with a lot of debt to deal with. Her husband had been a prophet in training. That's what it means when it says, sons of the prophets. It doesn't mean that their literal biological fathers were prophets and they were their sons. It means that their spiritual fathers were prophets and they were their spiritual sons, like Samuel and Elijah, now Elisha. And so he was a good man and he was a godly man, we are told. Uh, but for some reason or other, he died, and we don't know how, we don't know exactly the reason for that. 
And also, he had accumulated a lot of debt. Now, even the godly, even the good, even the people of God find it sometimes difficulties that they have to face that they hadn't planned upon. Life sometimes just throws up stuff and they have to deal with it. And this is what happened to this uh, little woman. So she has found herself not only having to deal with the death of her husband, but the debt of her husband also. We are not exempt from the troubles of life. Sure we're not. We live in the real world. Stuff happens to us as well as anybody else. But God can help us through it. God can give us the victory in the midst of it. Now, according to Old Testament law, if a debt could not be paid, then the one that the debt was owed to had the legal right to take a son and to cause them to work for them until that debt was paid off. Now, they weren't to make them a slave, but just, as it were, like a hired servant until they had worked off, they had worked hard enough and long enough to what would be the feeling was, well, that debt now has been, but you've worked that debt off and you can go back home. Actually, if the year of Jubilee, which was when all uh, slaves were released in the year of Jubilee, if that was a long way off, then the chances were that this woman uh, may never see her sons again. And this particular debtor would seem to be a callous type because he wanted both her sons and he wanted them to be his slave. And so this woman was in a really serious predicament. This was a really tough place she has found herself. Elisha probably knew this man personally. After all, he was the dean of the Bible school. So he probably knew all of the men well enough and probably knew their families also. And so he would have spent some time with them, ministering and teaching. And so in verse 2, when she came to Elisha with her need, Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Now, Elisha knew that he was going to have to exercise his faith. He knew that. That's why she had called upon him. She knew that he was God's man and that he was in touch with God and something could happen if she only went to him. So he knew immediately, I'm going to have to exercise my faith, but she was going to have to exercise her faith also. So he says, what do you have in the house? You know, God often does that with us. He often expects us to exercise some measure of faith. He said to Mary and Martha, he was going to raise their brother from the dead who was dead in the tomb. But what did he say? Roll away the stone. I mean, he could have raised them up and the stone could have disappeared, but they were going to have to do something. And at least they could do that. That was within their power to do that. He wasn't asking them something that was beyond their power, but at least it would be exercising their faith to do that. He told the servants at the marriage feast of Cana, fill up the water pots with water and pour out. So they were going to have to do something. He could have 
snapped his fingers, and the water pots would have been full and full of wine at the same time, but he asked them to do something. He said to his disciples, when they wanted to send the multitude away, let them go into the villages round about and buy food for themselves. He says, no, he says, you give them something to eat. You have to do something. And that's when they tried to find out, well, what do we have? He said to his disciples at one point, he says, lunch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. In verse 2, Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Imagine that. Nothing in the house. Not even a stick of furniture. Not even a pot or a pan. She had probably sold everything she could lay her hands on in order to try to pay off at least some of this debt. But having done all of that, she still had a huge debt to pay. And all she had was this little flask of oil. That's interesting. Lots of different words are used for jar and for flask and all the rest of it. But the word that's used here means for anointing oil. So this is a special little jar of oil. It's not just something in the kitchen cupboard that you use for baking. This is anointing and it was special. Something that would be kept for occasions. And it was something she held on to to the very last. It would be the last thing that she'd want to sell. It was precious to her. It meant something to her and to her late husband. But it was all that she had. I suppose it could be argued then it was all that she had, so it didn't seem to be much then to do something with that. But it was all that she had. Two mates doesn't seem much of an offering when rich people were putting in much, but it was all that the little widow woman had. It was everything. It was her best. And you know what? Jesus loved that. He was pleased with that because she gave her all. Mary wasn't even asked about her box of spikenard, but she broke it and gave it to Jesus anyway. Your maidservant has nothing in the house except this jar of oil. But that was enough. It was something she could work with. It was something that God could use where she could exercise her faith. Verse 3, then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. And that must have been challenging. And I'll tell you why. Because surely it was borrowing or at least non-payment of goods that got them into trouble in the first place. Now, now debt on its own is not necessarily a bad thing. If we have the means to repay, if it's within reason, if it's something we can handle, nothing necessarily wrong with that. But we all know, and perhaps most of us have been in positions at one time or other where it wasn't okay. And it did get out of hand. And it caused a lot of tension and trouble and worry and fretting and anxiety and fear and all the rest of it. 
And so he said, I want you to go and borrow vessels. Now I wonder what her neighbors would think as she would go to borrow vessels. Hmm. I wonder what they would think. I wonder what they would say. Maybe say, serves you right for being such a religious fanatic. If your husband hadn't gone off to Bible school, you wouldn't have been in this mess. See, I told you, this business of God's work is going to always get you into trouble someday. They could have said a whole lot of things like that. So this woman would have to face her fears. What are people going to say? <laughs> and so what he asked her to do was going to test her faith. It was going to test her obedience. But because she sought the Lord, going to the prophet means that she was seeking the Lord. Because she sought the Lord, I believe that she knew that God would help her that she would bring her burden to the Lord and he would help her. And as for her neighbors, actually, they didn't say any of those things. They were only too glad to help. Some of our fears are unfounded, aren't they? We build things up in our imagination, what might happen, what somebody might say. And oftentimes it's totally unfounded. And that was the case with this little woman. Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. And actually, her neighbors in the end were a help, not a hindrance. Verse 3, borrow empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. Get as many as you can lay your hands on. Remember we said last week, God's capacity to give is greater than our capacity to receive. And very often we limit his capacity to give by our incapacity to receive. But his supply is always greater than our need. It doesn't seem like that at the time. If you face a great need, it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't seem like that, but it actually is like that. Remember in our previous story of Elisha, dig this valley full of ditches. Not just one or two, full of ditches, because this valley will be filled with water. Hmm. Launch out into the deep where the fish are there in abundance. They fill the water pots, the Bible says, to the brim, to the point of overflowing. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. I am come that you might have life, that you might have it in abundance. So God's supply will always be greater than our need. Thank you, Lord. Always. He has vast reservoirs of supply. I wonder what her neighbors thought when she came knocking. Hey, Miriam, what are you going to do with all those pots? What do you need so many pots for? Why are you going around all the neighborhood gathering all these pots? What's this all about? It must have caused quite a stir. It doesn't say, but if we can use a little bit of imagination here, 
Maybe she got answered. I'm going to get my breakthrough. <laughs> I am enlarging my capacity for God's blessings. <laughs> God has got more than enough to meet my need, and I'm going to make sure that I give him every opportunity. Maybe that's what she was saying. Maybe that's what she was thinking. It will be above all that I can even ask or think. <laughs> This little woman is exercising her faith. I don't think there's a doubt that God is going to meet the need. She doesn't know exactly how yet, but she's going to find out, isn't she? Verse 4, And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. She has done her part. Now God is going to do his part. She has done what she could do. Now God's going to do what she couldn't do. And what only he can do. Notice that this miracle would be done silently and secretly. Only her and her two sons would actually see this miracle happen. Only the mother of Mary, sorry, only Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the servants knew about the water being made wine. The governor and the guests didn't know. <laughs> only they knew. Only they saw it happening with their own eyes. You remember the story of Jairus' daughter, how they came and Jesus went back to the house, but the little woman with the issue of blood interrupted them. By the time they got there, he was dead. The little child was dead. The daughter was dead. They said, don't trouble the master any further. The daughter's dead. And they were weeping and they were wailing and they were professional mourners. In those days, they hired people to professionally mourn to make a big scene. Remember what Jesus did? He put them all out. And only the father and the mother and Peter, James, and Johnny were with him. They were the only ones he allowed in that room to see that tremendous, miraculous resurrection. <laughs> Everybody would know about it, but only a few on those occasions saw it. Everybody's going to know about this little woman's oil very shortly, but at that moment, it was for her eyes only and her two sons. What a sight for sore eyes that must have been. Hmm. Verse 5. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her two sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Not sure how old these sons were. I'm assuming they're at least teenage years because they were fit to work. But they had to exercise their faith also, didn't they? They had to believe that what the prophet said, and they had to watch their mother obeying and having faith, and they had to join in that. They had to go. They had to believe. They had to be there in that room. Verse 6, now it came to pass when the vessels were full 
that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. And so the oil ceased. If we look at that more positively, we could say that God's supply will never stop until our needs are met. Amen? In Exodus 16.35, And the children of Israel ate manna forty years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Cana. In other words, God supplied supernaturally their need until the place came until they could farm and they could grow and they could plant and they could reap. And as soon as they came to that place, then the manna ceased at that point. That God's supply was more than equal to their need, wasn't it? In fact, they got so much of it, they got sick of it, and they complained, can you believe? It says, Then they came and told the man of God. Then she came and told the man of God. And he said, Go and sell the oil and pay your debt that you and your sons may live on the rest. Hmm. She went to the man of God when she was poor. But note this. She went to the man of God when she had plenty. She went to the man of God when she was poor, but she went to the man of God when she had plenty. It's easy to come to God when we've got a great need. But do we go to God after that great need is met? And sadly, that's not always the case. Sure it's not. For many people, God is a 999 call, isn't he? An emergency call. Lord, help me. And he does. Then it's bye-bye God to the next crisis. So when trouble hits again. But this little woman, having seen all of those pots filled with oil, she went to the prophet. She went to tell him when she was in poverty, she went to tell him in prosperity. Do we do that? Or do we only come to God in the bad times? Or do we come to God in the good times and thank him and ask him, you know, if God really, truly blesses you, really, say in a material way, just say, because this is a material blessing. If God truly blesses you in a material way, do you ever stop and think, God, what do you want me to do with this? I have nothing more here. What can I do with this? God may say, keep it, enjoy it. Be blessed with it. Or he may say, give it away. But do we come and ask him? We're quick to come when we're needy. We're quick to come when we're poor. But how quick are we to come whenever the need is met and we're blessed abundantly? Do we still come and say, Lord, what do I do with this? And this is what was happening with this little woman here. Success and prosperity for some people can be actually a curse because they forget who blessed them. They forget who made them rich. Totally forget about it. And they go on their way 
and it's used up on themselves, none of it for the kingdom. But not this little woman here. And so she went. The prophet, notice what he said. He, first of all, he told her to go and pay her debts. She had an obligation to her creditor. No matter how callous he was, she was obligated to pay her debt. As good citizens and as believers, we have obligations to society, don't we? And the best testimony is to pay those obligations, to do that, and, and exercise our, our right to do that and be a good citizen. So he says, first thing I want you to do is go and pay your debt. Go sell the oil, pay your debt, and then you and your sons live on the rest. So for the rest of her life, God had given her an abundant supply. God had met her need. Can you imagine what it must have been like in that room with just her and her two sons with her little flask of oil? Here's a little flask of oil here. Maybe it wasn't much bigger than that. Could you imagine her standing with that in her hand, taking the top of it, and saying to her son, bring me that big pot over there, and starting to pour it out. And as she poured it out, Ken's looking at me and saying, Pastor, I hope that lid's on that. <laughs> and as she poured it out, that pot began to fill and fill and fill and fill. But this little flask wasn't any emptier. Could you imagine seeing that with your own two eyes as she did and her sons? And that big pot was filled right to the brim and then she looked at her little flask and it was still full. How does that happen? Only God can do that, can't he? And I can imagine they gave him another big one. Oh, again. And by this time, I'm sure they had big grins in their faces, eh? I'm sure, I mean, sure they were just absolutely thrilled. And then she went around all of the pots, and at the end of it, they were all filled, and she still had the little jar of oil that had been so precious to her, that had meant so much, that she'd kept to the very last, and she still got it. Even though she gave it away, she still got it. Whatever you give to the Lord, and you give it away, in a sense, you've still got it. <laughs> so he said, go, sell the oil, pay your debt. You and your sons should live on the rest. When God, through Christ, paid our debt, He didn't stop there. He did more than that. In Philippians, sorry, in Philemon, the apostle Paul, you remember, had met that young runaway slave. He had been a servant to this Christian businessman, Philemon. Anisimus was the runaway ended up in jail, met the apostle Paul, who led him to Christ, and it just so happened in the providence of God that Philemon was a personal close friend of Paul. 
so when the time came for the young man to be released, Paul says, I'm going to write you a letter to give to your boss, my friend Philemon. And you can read that little letter. Very short one. But in the little letter, he says something which is very important. He said, whatever he owes you, because he had stolen from his boss, whatever he owes you, put it on my account. I will repay it. Me. I'll take that. Put it in my account. In Romans chapter 5, the apostle Paul uses accountancy terms. Impute, reconcile, accountancy terms. You know, if you've got a check, but you've got to keep it reconciled, don't you? All of our lives, every single person God has got a ledger for. And there's a debit side and a credit side. And on our debit side, our indebtedness to God is there. Adam, who was the federal head of all humanity, sinned, and his sin was imputed unto us. It was accounted unto us. It was given unto us. It was marked to our account, in our debit account. We owe God. Adam's sin became our sin. And then on top of that, our personal sins is in our debit account. And there are many. We owe God massively. And then the law of sin and death was accounted unto us. Spiritual death was accounted unto us. What about our credit side? Nothing. Nothing. Just massive debt that we owe to God. So that's the first act of imputation. But then the second act of imputation is that God gave his son to pay our debts. <laughs> if you could say this, if he had a debit side and a credit side, there was nothing in his debit side, but there was everything in his credit side. He had no debts. He hadn't broken any of God's laws. Never did. But God took our debts and gave them to Christ for him to pay for us. Paul says, whatever he owes you, put it in my account. God says, I'm going to take your debts. I'm going to put them in my son's account. He's going to pay your debt for you. And whenever we get born again of God's Spirit, our debts were paid in full. When Jesus died on the cross, he cried out, Tetelestai, paid in full. So our debit side was wiped out. Christ took that on himself, wiped it out for us. But he didn't stop there. Sure he didn't. Because the third act of imputation was that he took his credit and he put it into our credits. His righteousness became our righteousness. His peace became our peace. His joy became our joy. His life became our life. So our debt was paid and, and that would have been wonderful but he didn't stop there. 
Now he says, you'll never be in debt again. Your debt's paid. Now I'm going to give you new life. I'm going to give you my peace, my joy, my righteousness. Prophet said to little woman, go pay your debt and then live of the rest. <laughs> it's not enough that you just pay your debt, he said to the woman. I want you to be able to live from this point on. And it's not just enough that our sins are forgiven. We need new life to live this new life. <laughs> and we can only live it in Christ. Isn't that so? That's because of his righteousness and his mercy and his love and his compassion and his power is given unto us. Ah, bless the Lord. So many scriptures you could give you in that, but you know many of them. And so here's this little woman. She has all this oil. And now she's got a little cottage industry going. Creditor's gone. He's paid. And look what she's got. Now she can sell it. And you can be sure this is the best oil. This is the purest oil. <laughs> Think of all the processes that would have taken and all the months it would have taken to produce this oil that God produced in a second. Think of all the processes. Think of all the time it would have taken for that water to be turned to wine. Months and months and hard labor is done in a second. God can change our lives in a second of time, in a moment, and we're never the same again. We don't know how that works. I don't know how the oil miracle worked. I don't know how the wine miracle worked. I don't need to know. As long as God knows, he can do it. And our lives can be changed in a moment. I don't know how, when I ask Christ to save me, I don't know how he instantly changed my heart. I don't know how he did that, but I knew that he had done it. I knew, con absolutely convinced it had changed and it has been changed forever. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.